so tired and want to go home. The world is falling apart all over. There's only one who can save us, that's you and I. Good morning and happy Sabbath. I invite you to turn to our scripture reading this morning, and that's found in Luke chapter 19, verses 7 to 10. <clears throat> I can't tell you how much I've missed seeing everybody here. There's something about getting together as family in Jesus Christ, how the Holy Spirit works and moves in our hearts something you can't really, truly replicate just watching something at home. Luke chapter 19, verses 7 through 10. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, 
He is gone to be a, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, "Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold." And Jesus said to him, "Today salvation has come to this house." Because he is also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. Well, good morning. Is this, am I on? Nope. There we go. <clears throat> it is good. It is good to be here. Let me get this out of the way. Maybe I'll stop that. It is good to be here. It is such a refreshing thing to look at live bodies instead of the lens of a camera. I am not a camera speaker. I, I tell you, I, I would never have made it in Hollywood, to be sure. The, uh, <clears throat> but it is good to be here. I think this, this church has been shut down for, what, about three months? That is a long time. That is a really, really long time. I remember when this all started, they said we'd be shut down for two weeks to flatten the curve. And nobody had a clue that the curve was supposed to be zero. You know, it was supposed to just sh keep everything shut down like that. And it's just been hard. But <clears throat> I do have some good news. Uh, one of the hats that I wear as, uh, in the conference, not only as interim pastor here, but uh, uh, with the and conference evangelist, but I'm also the stewardship director, coordinator, whatever subtitle they have on that. And I've got some good news that, you know, some of the things that we're worried about is what's going to happen financially in a conference. And the conference offerings have been holding good. They've really been holding good. So I want to thank you all for your faithfulness in that. Uh, it makes a big difference as to whether we can continue as a, uh, as a conference or not. Another thing, a, a date for you to put in your calendars is uh, August 29. August 29, which is a Sabbath. It's a Wisconsin Conference Celebration Sabbath. I will email an a, uh, insert you can put in the bulletins. I just got this. I will be at Camp, uh, at camp Wakanda. It's from 10 a.m. to 4.30 p.m. There will be no camping. It's just the day. There will be no meals served. So if you plan on staying there any length of time for the afternoon, you may want to bring a sandwich or something along with you. Otherwise, it's going to be a long hungry drive home. But anyways, uh, there'll be more information uh, coming on that. There'll be uh, baptisms in, in Sandow Lake as they normally have at camp meetings, so that's kind of trying to keep that uh, all together. <clears throat> but uh, it is good to be here. Yeah, it really is. Good, uh, good to see you all here. I'm assuming that this isn't normal. There's still the numbers are down. I was in Rapids two weeks ago, and we were down about half of what they, uh, what they normally were. But uh, Anyways, one of the other hats that I have, of course, is conference evangelist. I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 13. This is before I get into the sermon. <clears throat> 2 Kings chapter 13. You know, <clears throat> as an evangelist, I've been doing evangelism for, this is my 20th year. And I was 17 of that, I was a pastor. But for 20 years, I've, as I, actually as a pastor, I was more of an evangelist than really a pastor. But <clears throat> every place that I would go, it didn't matter where it was. I could be in the, in the Bible Belt of the South. We could be in the North. It didn't matter where it was. I would always hear a very similar thing come from the church. Oh, pastor, this is a really hard place to do evangelism. You guys ever heard that? 
You might have heard that. <clears throat> now, Wisconsin's not easy. I'm not gonna, I was down in Tennessee, and Melody and I went to a little church. This was just a few years ago. I we went to this little church in northern Tennessee, and the place was bursting at the seams. In fact, there were so many people, the, the deacons had to come down and ask people to squeeze down to fit everybody in there. And, you know, a lady, I started talking with one of the members there, and she said, what do you do? And, and I told her, and she says, oh, she says, boy, pastor, this is a hard place to do evangelism. And I'm looking at the numbers. That, I mean, they're, they've got to add on to their church because the church is full. And I looked at her, I says, man, it can't be too hard. You should be right to evangelism, man. <laughs> you think this is rough. But anyways, one of the other things that I, that I will hear is that, you know, we've tried that before, and it just doesn't work. Turn in Bibles to 2 Kings, chapter 13. This is right at the end of Elisha's life. Elisha, verse 14. I'm going to go ahead and read this, and I'll just make a few comments on that. <clears throat> so Elisha becomes sick with the illness of which of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, O my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. And Elisha said to him, Take a bow and some arrows. And so he took himself a bow and some arrows. Some arrows. And he said to the king of Israel, Put your hands on the bow. So he put his hand on it, and Elisha put his hands on the king's hands. And he said, Open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, Shoot. And he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek until you have destroyed them. And then he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. And so he struck how many times? Three times. Three times. Don't forget that. And he stopped. And a man of God was, what was his reaction to that? He was angry. He was angry with him, and he said, you should have struck five or six times, then you would have struck Syria till you have destroyed it, but now you will strike Syria only three times. <clears throat> I want to encourage you about evangelism in your community. Listen, we are in a war. It's the only safe way we can look at this. We are in a war. The goal of the war is to re find redemption for the salvation of souls in these communities. The devil has them all locked up. And so if we try something that doesn't work, you see, then we need to try something else. If it takes three, four, five, six, whatever it takes, because there is a key for every lock. Now, I'm telling you this because I really believe that with the events that are taking place, you know, with the COVID-19 lockdown, the, the riots and stuff, people are worried. They're scared. They want to know what's going on. I have not seen a situation similar to this since September 11th of 2001. I was an evangelist with amazing facts then. And I'm telling you, you could, put, you could have put out on a three-by-five scrap card meetings and you'd pack a hall with it. Because people wanted to know. And so I would encourage you to, you know, look at something that you can do to reach into your, into your community. <clears throat> I'm going to go ahead and pray. I do that whenever I, whenever I preach because I really believe I need all the help that I can get. Uh, if you would bow your heads with me as I, as I kneel up here. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, it is, oh, it is so good to come together. And Father, as we do and we open your word 
this morning. I pray, Father, that you would bless us with your presence, that your Holy Spirit would fill this place, that you would fill our hearts, you'd fill our minds, that you would give us discernment, that we can understand clearly what your word is telling us. We can see what you want from us. So, Father, I pray you would send your spirit here. You'd fill our hearts, you'd fill our minds. You'd give us eyes that we can see, ears that we can hear. Father, most of all, give us a heart that we can understand. Father, bless us now with your presence, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. I've got a I've got a disclaimer to make before I get into this. I thought last Sunday was Father's Day. I did. Completely. You did too? Yeah. And you know, I never got a phone call. My wife never said anything. And I said, man, what in the world is going on? You know, and you know when I found out it was Father's Day was this Sunday? Thursday afternoon. Thursday afternoon, I go and I look at the calendar. For some reason, I'd look at the calendar. Flag day. You know, I'm having problems with my eyes. When you get to this age, you'll find that that happens. And I'm not focusing quite as clearly. And on the week before, when I saw the F, I just thought it was Father's Day. I never even read the rest of the word. Gives you a lesson on, be careful when you study your Bibles, that that one letter may not be uh, what you think. But anyways, I would have had a Father's Day sermon, but I already sent all the information in, so... You're stuck with this one today. Uh, but anyways, fathers, happy Father's Day. <laughs> I, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, when the day goes by, then the next day goes by, another day goes by, another day goes by. My son was home, never said a word. He leaves on Wednesday, and I go, I can't believe it. Man, I've, you know, I've been helping him for the last week and a half, and he hadn't even said happy Father's Day. You know, <clears throat> and I just, I wasn't going to say anything. I wasn't going to say anything. Wait for Christmas. You think it's something? No, I just... <laughs> But, but anyway, uh, boy, was I shocked when I saw that. I, I just, uh, man, I almost fell over. <clears throat> Anyways, Matthew 28. Matthew 28. <clears throat> Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go. Let me ask you something. When Jesus says this, is he giving an option? No. He says, Go. You, go. And what's the next thing they were to do? Make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In your Bibles, it's probably got a heading over that called the Great Commission. As Seventh-day Adventists, that is something we have taken very, very seriously. In fact, we have gone through the world Uh, The place where we're really lacking in that really is in North America. The rest of the world, the gospel is going out. The church is growing by leaps and bounds. In America, we are holding, actually gaining a little, but not like it is the rest of the world. But the Great Commission tells us that we are to go and do what? This interactive part. Make disciples, right? What's a disciple? What is a disciple? Dictionary definition. Listen, I'm not going to bark at you. It's okay. I may speak loud, but it, it's, it's okay. This is, 
A disciple, by definition, is one who imitates a master. It's one who imitates a master. A Christian would be a disciple whose master is is Christ. That's why they're called Christians, because they're a follower of Christ. So, who are do we make? Are we to make disciples after ourselves? No, we're to make disciples after Jesus, right? I'm going to give you a, some of my personal history. Melody and I were baptized on the 10th of May, 1980, just a little bit over 40 years ago. And I believe that it was in the first year after we were baptized that somebody came up to me and shared a verse, a quotation, from the book Christ's Object Lessons. And I'm sure you guys have heard this quotation, because it says in there that Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is a privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the day of his coming. How many of you guys have heard that? Just about, yeah, just about everybody. One of the things that I do when I'm doing an evangelistic series, there's a couple things that I ask people to write down, little sayings. I said, write this in your Bible because it's very important. In fact, Carl, in your, your uh, Sabbath school lesson this morning, this was one of the things that you were bringing out. And that is that a text taken out of context is a pretext. What that means very simply is that when you take a text out of its context, then what you're actually doing is you're giving it a meaning that was never intended by the author. You're putting another meaning into it, sometimes 180 degrees from what that was. Well, after this person shared this this quotation with me, he said, you see, what has to happen is you need to be perfect. The church must become perfect for Jesus to come. And so your diet has to be perfect, and your dress has to be perfect. Your language has to be perfect. Everything has to be perfect. When the whole church gets to that point, you see, then Jesus will come. Well, you know, being, being new Christians, and when, when, when we studied, we were living out in the bush of Alaska as we were studying, and as we were as we were studying this, I mean, you know, there was nothing we wouldn't do, whatever it was that we were asked to do. And I thought, well, if I've got to be perfect, I've got to be perfect. That's what, that's what God wants from me. And you know what the problem with perfection is? It's a sliding scale. It's always out of reach. Because as you come closer to Jesus and you see Jesus the way he really is, you see yourself how you really are. And no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter how austere you you make your life, you can't reach that goal. You follow me? So you know what happens? You become discouraged. become very discouraged. In fact, it got to the point where I remember looking at my wife and I'd looked at her and I said, you know, I just can't see running a race that I have no hope of ever winning. And I was ready to throw everything away. But see, what I found was 
that that quotation, the way it was shared to me and the meaning that was given to it was completely, completely, completely out of context with what Ellen White was trying to say there. Turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 4 because I'm going to illustrate this out. There's a parable in Mark chapter 4 beginning in verse 26. Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. So then he, that's Jesus, said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, after that the full head, grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. If you have Christ's Object Lessons, I would encourage you to read that book. It's a wonderful book on the parables of Jesus. It really is. It's one of my favorite books. I've got quite a few favorite books, but that is one of them. In the third chapter, there is a chapter called First the Blade, Then the Ear. And she is commenting on this parable. I want you to listen to what she says. So the wheat develops first the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. The object of the husbandman in the sowing of the seed and the culture of the growing plant is the production of grain. He desires bread for the hungry and seed for future harvests. So the divine husbandman looks for a harvest as a reward of his labor and sacrifice. Christ is seeking to reproduce himself in the hearts of men, and he does this through those who believe in him. Don't miss that. The object of the Christian life is fruit-bearing, the reproduction of Christ's character in the believer that it may be reproduced in others. The plant does not germinate, grow, or bring forth fruit for itself, but to give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so no man is to live unto himself. The Christian is in the world. Now, what's a Christian? He's a disciple whose master is Christ. That's right. The Christian in the world as a representative of Christ for the salvation of what? Other souls. Of other souls. There can be no growth or fruitfulness in the life that is centered in self. If you have accepted Christ as a personal Savior, you are to forget yourself and try to help others. Talk of the love of Christ. Tell of his goodness. Do every duty that presents itself. Carry the burden of souls upon your heart and by every means in your power seek to save the lost. As you receive the Spirit of Christ, the spirit of unselfish love and labor for others, you will grow and bring forth fruit. The graces of the Spirit will ripen in your character. Your faith will increase, your convictions deepen, your love be made perfect. More and more, you will reflect the likeness of Christ in all that is pure, noble, and lovely. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. This fruit can never perish, but will produce after its kind a harvest unto eternal life. Now she goes back and quotes from the parable. When the fruit 
is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. And now she gives the statement that I gave you a moment ago. Christ is waiting with longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church. When the character of Christ shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then he will come to claim them as his own. It is a privilege of every Christian not only to look for, but to hasten the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Were all who profess his name bearing fruit to his glory, how quickly the whole world would be sown with the seed of the gospel, quickly the last great harvest would be ripened and Christ would come to gather the precious grain. Was there anything in that about, listen, I'm not putting down the health message, okay? I very firmly believe in our health message. I believe in modest stress. I believe in all these things. I teach them all the time. But it can never be a substitute for the character that Jesus wants to see in his people. So what is the character that we're supposed to have reproduced in our lives? How is it that we are supposed to imitate Christ? Well, Jesus answers that. In Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two men there, two fishermen. They're tending their nets or whatever they were doing. They're casting a net into the sea. This is verse 18. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you a church member. Your Bible doesn't say that, does it? Follow me, and I will give you something that will cause you to live a few extra years. What do you tell them? Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. The, the story, our, our, our scripture reading this morning about Zacchaeus, you know, most of you remember, I did not have children's stories when I was growing up. I grew up in a Catholic church, and so I didn't have children's stories. We didn't have a children's Sabbath school or Sunday school. I never had anything like that. We never sang no songs. You know, Zacchaeus, the wee little man, a wee little man was he. We never heard any of that until after I was an adult. And I, was, and I could hear it coming from the children's room. But you guys know the story of Zacchaeus. You know what was happening there. Says so he made haste, he came down, Jesus stops underneath the tree, says, Zacchaeus, come on down, I'm going to go over to your house, I'm going to have lunch with you today. And the people were incest over that. They were just, they were upset about that. How in the world can he go and eat sinners, or eat with sinners? He wasn't going to eat them, he was going to eat with him. <clears throat> but then verse 8, Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Lord, Look, I've give, I give half my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today, today, why? What, was, what did Zacchaeus just do? What did he just show? Showed repentance, trying to make things right. And Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And then in verse 10, Jesus gives his reason for coming. He says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'm a, I would say, an amateur student of the spirit of prophecy. I read her writings all the time. In fact, every third year I'll read through the Conflict Ages series with my Bible. I think there's a, there's a statement in Ministry of Healing that describes the character of Jesus. I think 
clearer than anything else that I've read. On page 105, she says this, Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were... I remember the first time I saw that. Now, I had read it before, but I never really saw it. Have you ever done that? You ever be reading something and, and you just... You read it and you go past it, and you read it again, you go past it, and then all of a sudden it just leaps off the page at you. Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. He didn't even want to be there. His creation was doomed to eternal death. He could find no joy in being in heaven. She continues, he left the heavenly courts for a life of reproach and insult, a death of shame. He was rich in heaven's priceless treasure, became poor, that we through his poverty might be rich. We are to follow the path he trod. Now listen, she continues on. He who becomes a child of God should henceforth look upon himself as a link in the chain let down to save the world, one with Christ in his plan of mercy, going forth with him to seek and to save the lost. She said, we are to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, comfort the suffering and afflicted. We are to minister to the despairing and to inspire hope in the hopeless. And folks, listen, there's a lot of people that are hopeless right now. A lot of people are hopeless right now. I had a man came to my house from Minneapolis Thursday evening. Thursday night, actually, about quarter to nine when he got there. <clears throat> and I asked him, I said, are you close to where the rioting and stuff is going on? He goes, oh, yeah. He says, businesses, buildings, factories just destroyed. He said, it's scary. It's really scary. Hopelessness. We can bring hope to the hopeless. She says, the love of Christ manifested in unselfish ministry will be more effective in reforming the evildoer than will the sword or the court of justice. These are necessary to strike terror to the lawbreaker, but the loving missionary can do more than this. Often the heart that hardens under reproof will melt under the love of Christ. The missionary cannot only receive relieve physical maladies, but he can lead the sinner to the great physician who can cleanse the soul from the leprosy of sin through his servants. It's me and you. God designs that the sick, the unfortunate, and those possessed of evil spirits shall hear his voice. Through his human agencies, he desires to be a comforter such as the world knows not. That's what God wants out of us. It's our she she really um, does quotes very, very similar, but she follows it up with this. She says, the Christian is ever to realize that he has consecrated himself to God and that in character he is to reveal Christ to the world, the self-sacrifice, the sympathy, the love manifested in the life of Christ are to reappear in the life of the worker for God. You know, I've thought a lot about <clears throat> why, why do we even have a church? And really, there's only one reason for there to be a church. It's not for schools. 
It's not for conferences. It's not for you. It's not for a general conference. It's not for the, the largest Protestant educational system in the world, nor is it for the largest Protestant health system in the world. That's not why we're here. We're here for one reason. That is to preach the everlasting gospel in the context of the three angels' messages to the world. Prepare a people that a loving God is going to put an end to all of this sin. Sin will never rise again. It's going to be put away forever. And if you want to live in a place where peace and harmony will exist for all eternity, you need to come to Jesus. You need to meet the guy that I know. Because he's the only one that can get you there. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. I mean, it's wonderful that we have church, we have fellowship, we have all these things that we can do together. But that's not the end in itself. The whole purpose is for service. It's to go to serve our fellow man. You know, Daniel talks about what happens to those who have been faithful in that. In Daniel chapter 12 and verse 3, it says, And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, they shall, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. There used to be a song that, when I first came into church, it was sung, I don't even know if it's in the new hymnals anymore, but will there be any stars in my crown? You guys remember that? Remember, that was a long time ago. Does that, is that, I don't even know if it's, still in the, if it's still in the hymnal. But I remember talking about that, and people were talking about, will there be any stars in my crown? We don't do it to do that. We do it because we love Jesus. And because we love Jesus, you see, the closer we come to him, the more we will see others the same way he looks at others. There won't be any. You know, Jesus had, a, he had an amazing thing. When he looked at people, he never saw them how they were. Mary Magdalene, he didn't see her as a prostitute was dragged before him in, in hopes by those that dragged her there that she would be stoned to death at his condemnation. What he saw was a woman who had been wronged many times, but had the capability, the capacity to love much. And this woman was the first one who saw Jesus after he rose from the dead. Faithful follower. Who was it that stood by the cross? Where was Peter and Andrew and all the others? They were hiding because they, didn't, they were worried about what was going to happen to them. Where was Mary Magdalene? She was right there at the foot of the cross. See, she captured that love, which the disciples eventually did too. In the book Faith I Live By, she says, in our life here, earthly, sin-restricted though it is, the greatest joy and the highest education are in service. And in the future state, untrammeled, By the limitations of sinful humanity, it is in service that our greatest joy and our highest education will be found. If any man's work abide, he shall receive a reward. Glorious will be the reward bestowed when the faithful workers gather about the throne of God and of the Lamb. They that have been partakers with Christ in his sufferings. They have been workers together with him in the plan of redemption. And they are partakers with him in the joy of seeing souls saved in the kingdom of God. There to praise God through all eternity. You know, when, when this is all over, I want you just to imagine for a moment <clears throat> that somebody that you had contact with, somebody who you shared Jesus with, 
comes walking up to you. You hadn't seen them in years. They came walking up to you. I say, remember that day that you talked to me? I'm here because of you, what you woke up to me. You imagine the joy? I had a guy come up to me one time, and he says, you know, he said, I don't understand something. <clears throat> Got a long-time Adventist, second generation or third generation Adventist. He said, what I don't understand, he says, you know, we're told that we're not supposed to see gold or silver or any of these precious things or anything that's nice. But he says, you look at the description of the, of the New Jerusalem. He says, it's all these precious metals and, and, and jewels and, and things like that. And he says, so we're supposed to desire that there but not here. And I looked at him. And I says, Ma, you are just missing the mark, brother. <laughs> I says, it's not the gold and the silver and the, and the jewels. It's Jesus. You get to be with Jesus. What he's showing you is that everything that you're working for here is nothing but building materials. What makes heaven heaven is who's going to be there. And Luke, I'm going to skip through some of this. It's getting late. Luke chapter 9, verse 23 through 26. <clears throat> verse 23 says, Then he, that's Jesus, said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains a whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me in my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels. Verse 57. I'm going to drop down a few verses if you're following along. It says, Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Listen how Jesus responds to that. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. You know, he's asking him, are you really sure that you want to follow me? Because see, in their mind, their idea of the Messiah was that he was going to be one that was going to redeem Israel, not from sin, but he was going to redeem Israel from the yoke of Roman occupation. And that they, he was the one that was going to put Israel on the top of the heap and everybody in the world would be under Israel's rule. And he says, you need to think about this. I don't even have a place. Jesus was homeless. You realize that? He was a homeless, itinerant preacher. Let me ask you something. If a homeless, itinerant preacher came to you, would you even listen to him? Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell. We're at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know, I thought about that verse in Christ Object Lessons. And that entire chapter, in fact, as I look through the spirit of prophecy, the promises that are in the spirit of prophecy, they're all connected to winning souls for the kingdom. They all are. 
If you can find one that isn't, please let me know. I have looked, I have read. They're all connected. When you keep them in their context, it's all connected with the proclamation of the gospel. That's the character that Jesus wants to see in his people. He wants to see in his people a love for people the way that God loves people. You see, and if we love people the way God loves people, then we will be investing in their lives. You know what the hardest investment for us to make is? It's not the money that goes in the envelope. The most difficult investment that we have to put into the furtherance of the gospel is our personal time that we will put into it. Because we're all busy. I don't know about you. I don't know if any of you are busy, but I know I've got a busy schedule. Even with the COVID-19 <laughs> shutdown, there was, there was plenty to keep me going all the time, plenty to keep me busy all the time. But he wants us to invest of ourselves in people. You see, there is no such thing, brothers and sisters, there is no such thing as a Christian who does not care for others. Doesn't matter where they come from. Doesn't matter their ethnicity. Doesn't matter their gender doesn't matter their religious preference. He wants us to invest in them personally. That's why it says, go therefore. We are to go. And if we do not care about others. I had a friend of mine went to, this thought just hit me, I had a friend of mine went to a church they had an evangelistic series scheduled. Amazing Facts Evangelist. The handbills are still sitting in the office of the church. And he asked him, he goes, why? He says, these, these should have gone out a week ago. How come they're still here? He said, well, we were going to deliver them by hand. But we really don't want to have an evangelistic series here. He says, why not? He says, because we're all ready for Jesus to come. And if we bring somebody in here, then we're going to have to wait to get them to catch up to us. I'll tell you, that attitude, brothers and sisters, is not going to make it in a day of judgment. You know, there's going to be three, three surprises for us when we get to heaven. You guys know about that. We'd be surprised because there are going to be people there that we didn't think were going to be there. We're going to be surprised because there's people not there that we thought were going to be there. But you know what the biggest surprise is? That we're going to be there. The bottom line, I think, is that if we, if we don't have that love for others, if we don't have that compassion for others, if we don't want to see others, do you realize Jesus left heaven, the place where every, where every Christian, every person who names the name of God wants to be in that place. And Jesus left all of that so that we could be saved. In fact, I believe Jesus would have rather died eternally than to see us lost. That's what Jesus wants to see in us, where we would be willing to give ourselves so someone else can be there. And if we don't have that love for the lost, if we don't have that love for people, 
Brothers and sisters, we can call ourselves whatever we want. But Christian would not be a fitting title. Not at all. Our closing hymn is hymn number 359, Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling. Hark the Voice of Jesus Calling, hymn number 359.